Ruth, what are you cooking right now? Um, let's see. Well, today I made toast. That's the extent of my cooking from home for today. But I've had some I've had some 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 good luck and good success with recipes that I've cooked in the past and loved in the past. I think like big vats of stewy goodness. Uh, earlier in all of this, I made a batch of one-ton dumplings that I um, put in one-ton mean, one-ton noodle soup. Yeah, what are you making? We're becoming bread people. Um, <laughs> there's a slice of bread that we just made. Here, it sounds like this. I'm crunching it again. There it is. Yeah. Now, one thing I think is interesting about the type of cooking that you're doing, Ruth, is that it sounds like it's a little bit more like meal preppy than what you usually make. And I wonder if you feel like you're cooking differently now that we're all cooped up at home. Yeah, that's fair. I, I like the the subtle shade of like, oh, Ruth, you don't really um, <laughs> tend to plan much in advance. You're kind of a fly by the Never. seat of your pants kind Never. of gal. Am I wrong? It's no. <laughs> You're not wrong. I'm Patrick Fort. And I'm Ruth Tam. This is Dish City. We cover city change through DC's iconic foods. This season, we're exploring how coronavirus is affecting DC's local food systems. Social distancing and stay at home orders mean big business for grocery stores, but it's also forced restaurants to close and farms to drastically change their business models. All this makes us question what our status quo was before all this. And after? This all has huge effects for how we eat and buy food and how we value work. It'll change our region in ways we can't even predict. So we're going to try to unpack all of that here. We'll be here every other Thursday, and we'll update you if that changes. On this episode, we're talking about the ways Washingtonians are using food and drinks to cope during the pandemic. So the way you're talking about Cooking Ruth reminds me of Charles Dewan. He appeared on our Thanksgiving episode. Uh, Charles is the guy who took traditional Thanksgiving dishes and put a DC spin on everything. Yeah, he and his wife Jenny made a mushroom injera stuffing, cranberry mumbo sauce. Uh, they did sweet potato pupusas. They're really creative and not overly precious in the kitchen. Yeah, they're some of the most creative home cooks we've ever met. And we wanted to see how they were handling kitchen life under quarantine with their two young kids. The good news is we've gotten really good at the Pokemon card game. Just like the old, <laughs> the original one? I probably have gotten more into it than Charles has, even though I probably won't don't like to admit it at home. Now we're starting to think about how we can come up with our own deck of uh, using all the loose cards that we buy. We're definitely getting to the gotta catch them all phase. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> Uh, what are you guys eating? Has how, yeah, what are you guys eating right now? I think we're doing um, a lot of cooking at home, and also some going to some of our favorite restaurants to pick up stuff and eat it. One of the few things that Charles and I can agree on to watch together are uh, cooking shows, and I liken our um, cooking times to the chopped basket, where I tell Charles the various things that don't always go together. 
on our pantry and our fridge and he tries to come up with some creative way to combine all of them is that a thing you do usually yes um (laughs) i will tell you that before all of this charles would get a around 5 5 30 call from me when i drive home that goes honey here are the things in our fridge what do you think i should cook tonight do the steaks feel higher now they do. They absolutely do. Because if you can't go to the grocery store, you know, for a couple of ingredients that you really need, you really have to think thoughtfully about, you know, how the flavors get to get, uh, go together and the textures and such. So what is the latest iteration of this, like, chopped challenge? Like, what's the last time you had to do some sort of, like, weird combo because of, like, the, like the, the options in your fridge? One thing that I'm thinking about doing is um, trying to make some English muffins. I had a recipe for that that I used a while back. Um, We're a little low on cornmeal, which is usually what we use to dust it with, um, just to keep the outsides from sticking to everything. But we have these large bags of quinoa that have been sitting around probably for about a year. And so, you know, my thought was, well, we've got a spice grinder and we've got all this quinoa. What if we just grind up the quinoa and use that instead? I have no idea if that's going to work. <laughs> um, I made a I, I made a batch of Cajun rice and beans the other day. We don't have any andouille sausage. We don't have any of the sort of pork products you would normally use for a Cajun dish. What we did have was we had some Korean pot roast drippings and we had some Chinese sausage. So it ended up being a cajun korean chinese pork and beans and it tasted actually quite good it was very interesting um so you know it's it, it's often that sort of thing whereas like i've got a basic idea for a recipe and here's the ingredients that i have that i have they don't quite match but we'll see what comes out of it and it's you know usually usually it turns out okay and generally pretty interesting one of the joys of having two kids is that we get to cook for them while we cook for ourselves. So we're making the tomato sauce while we're also trying to watch them eat the pizza. We are going to make a pork stew bolognese sauce. I'm done peeling the garlic. And I'm going to chop it while Charles checks on the meat and on the kids. Sounds like they're jumping off chairs in the dining room. What are we gonna spice this with? Thyme? Hmm? What spice are we gonna use in it? Uh, thyme, oregano. Thyme, oregano, rosemary. It's an Italian sort of So we're gonna give it a French flavoring as well as, I guess, like a meat flavoring. Seal it. Okay, so now I need the liquid. Add some liquid. Liquid has been added. All right, let's get the lid on. Set the lid properly. Uh, meat stew, so it'll cook on high pressure for 60 minutes. And then we'll see how it turns out. One of the nice things about making things like tomato sauce are that you just have a pot. You can make it, you can make pretty much anything you want. Um, I've oh, made tomato, tomato sauce. sauce in. Oh, wait. Oh, the tomatoes would be good to put in. Um, I knew I was missing something. Here we go. All right, tomatoes are now added. Whew. That was close. 
How do you view cooking or eating any differently since you've been working from home or home more often? You know, when we're when we're able to go out and get food fairly readily, it means that I'm not too worried about making like a week's worth batch of chili because we're not going to be eating chili every single day. We can choose to eat the chili one day. We can go out the next day. We can get something else um, another day. You know, swap it out. Um, the way it works now is that since we're mostly at home, if I make a week's worth of chili, we're just eating chili for a week. And so that means that either we're going to be really bored by the end of the week, or we got to start thinking of some sort of interesting ways to use this. So, you know, we had, we had the masa flour sitting around. So we're thinking, okay, so we've got this chili stew. What can we do with them? And we also have this masa flour. What can we do with that? So we figured, well, you know, um, tamales are a kind of interesting way of taking advantage of something that's sort of stew textured. So we ended up making chili tamales. I think what I love about you too is that you're not afraid of what of like dishes that I think most people would consider really work intensive, like <laughs> the pupusas, uh, tamales. Um, it's and you. I remember Charles when we interviewed you last. You were like, "Oh well, my wife is really good at making dumplings, so like this is not that hard for her." But everybody else was like, "Oh my god!" And <laughs> that's never. like the Through default. Charles, and I will tell you that just like the pupusas, he said, "Hey, honey, why don't you put it into tamales?" And I was like. Huh? What? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. And obviously, we don't have corn husks lying around. Um, we were thinking, can we use aluminum foil to wrap it? And lo and behold, a lot of people said, you know, it's actually super easy if you use that because then you don't have to worry about the stick, sticking, the tying, and such. Um, and we were able to use also the um, parts of the fluid from the steaming fluid and the sausages to help flavor some of our fried rice and things that we're making. So really think you creatively about all aspects of that dish. Is this providing some sort of like mental reprieve or like comfort in like right now? It's nice to be able to sort of exercise those mental muscles um, and say, all right, you know, we're in a situation where all we've got is this. How can we, how can we put together a recipe that calls for X, Y, and Z when all we have is A, B, and C. That's, you know, that that's a fun challenge. And it's definitely helps to make the time, the time go by more easily. Making Dish City depends on the support of listeners like you. When the pandemic started, we set aside the stories we'd been working on and focused on the big city changes we're seeing right now, and we need your help so that we can continue to bring you new episodes. Make a donation right now by going to wamu.org donate or clicking the link in the show notes. And thanks. I think Charles and Jenny are so inspiring. They they have the same like upbeat energy these days as they did when we talked to them over Thanksgiving. I I really love just their take on cooking. Like not everything has to be perfect. What can we do with the ingredients that we have and not pay attention to what we don't have? Um, so with that in mind, um, we decided to head to the kitchen ourselves. Patrick, tell tell the people what you made. <laughs> Donuts.
Of course you did. I'm gonna try to make donuts for the very first time. Hey, Garbanzo. If there's two things that you should know about me as a person, it's that I love donuts and I hate baking um, because baking has rules and specific measurements and uh, I don't like either of those things. So <laughs> this is gonna be an adventure both, you know, emotionally, physically, and uh, <laughs> Jesus Carbonzo. Do you wanna be my sous chef or not? Okay, so I need baking powder, flour, and salt. Another bowl. For anybody who works with me or has met me ever will know, I have never met a donut that I did not like. So. so I think cooking during pandemic times is like, it simultaneously is more of a, a labor, but also a reprieve. I think it's, you know, if, if you're lucky enough to have a job that does not require you to be out in the world, I think it's important to salvage moments that are ways to maintain your sanity and your emotional health. Let's try, uh, where's my little, there it is, my little fishing rod. Let's try a donut hole first, I guess. Listen to those, listen to those little doughboys go. All right, I'm gonna eat one of these little guys. That's so good. I mean, I think they're so good. They might not be like technically amazing donuts, but it's good enough for a first attempt. So my donut experiment went pretty well, I think. Um, how about you, Ruth? What do you What did you make? I made scallion pancakes. The first time I made these, they were for a, uh, I think it was for a Lunar New Year party uh, last year. And I had decided to make them because they're a fun party snack. But because I wanted them to be fresh and crispy when people were over, I decided to fry them right as everyone was arriving, which is just like the worst time to deep fry something. Um, people were like coming in and out of my kitchen, giving me hugs, handing me six packs and being like, what can I do to help? And I'd be like, actually, you need to GTFO. <laughs> and so I can pay attention to this dough in the oil because I'm about to like burn this apartment down. <laughs> So I decided, okay. Your kitchen's so small. <laughs> my kitchen is tiny. Um, I'm sure I've told you about my super sensitive smoke detector. And I decided that, okay, during the pandemic, um, I'm going to try to make these scallion pancakes again when none of my friends are around me to distract me. Um, and I can just focus on the dough. All right, so like a lot of people I know, Asians in particular, um, are trying to stretch their scallions by sticking the ends in a bit of shallow water and like a, a cup or something. And um, I am no exception. I've been thinking about recently why I like cooking so much and what about cooking during this moment in time feels 
so important to me. Um, I think a lot of the world right now and a lot of the news that I'm hearing out of it, it makes me want to like disassociate, um, to like really retreat and numb myself from what's going on. Um, but cooking really forces you to use all your senses, you know, your sight, your smell, your taste, your hearing, your touch abilities, and to just be present. It feels productive, like you're making something to sustain yourself, but also like very indulgent, like, oh, I'm really doing something nice for myself. I'm forcing myself to, to be here and to, to eat, to like continue. Maybe that sounds a little bleak, but um, I find it comforting. Um, slowly drizzling three-fourths of the boiling water into this flour. I have a love-hate relationship with the dough. Uh, it's really fun to touch, but um, just kind of problematic for me to make. Um, dough makes me feel like I've lost all control, which not untrue, but I don't want to be reminded of it. Um, okay, so we're gonna fry them now. Here we go. Adding oil. Okay, this is a safe space. We can all acknowledge that my smoke detector just went off. All right, I'm gonna call the frying of these pancakes done. Cutting up a slice. It looks like a pizza. I actually think this turned out quite well. The act of rolling it into a jelly roll first and flattening it out like multiple times does create these layers of flakiness. A super satisfying, super crunchy. It's good on its own, but the dipping sauce is nice too. It has like this acidic bite to it. A little sour, a little sweet because of the vinegar. I made enough scallion pancakes for like at least 10 people. And I'm gonna eat them all by myself. I would have gladly eaten many, many of those, just so you know. And I'm disappointed that you it. didn't share. I mean, I would mail them to you, but fried things don't travel well. And, no. um I'm still so confused why people ever get fries to deliver, but yeah. True. Um, but the experience, like there were some frustrating points, like yes, the smoke detector went off. Yes, I forgot to rest my dough with like a wet towel on it and the dough, that was a struggle. And it's just like, it wasn't more, it wasn't more soothing with less people. Um, and I did kind of need a drink afterwards. I think like based on the Twitterverse and the, the rest of the world, I would imagine that many people are also feeling like they might need to be drinking more. Yeah, totally. So you remember Derek Brown from our first season? He was featured in our Jumbo Slice episode. He's DC's unofficial king of booze. He owns Columbia Room and has owned many a fine drink establishment in DC. And once people started quarantining for real, he went to Twitter and was like, yeah, well, where I shouldn't be drinking a bunch of cocktails to deal with stress, I have been using my mind and uh, being active intellectually to uh, to cope with it. Um, and a big part of that has been just reaching out to people on social media and saying, what do you got at home? And how can I help you make a cocktail? And, and there is a, a stimulating kind of intellectual tone to it as well, sitting down and making a well-made cocktail really... Um, pleases the senses, but it also pleases our mind as well. Some of them, you know, have been responding with very 
um, standard kind of ingredients that I can tell them to make some classic cocktail that I really love, you know, um, like even just a margarita with, with mezcal. And some have been more complicated, you know, um, I guess back of the shelf type stuff <laughs> that uh, is not something that I would usually recommend. <laughs> what weird ingredients yeah. are people giving you? Are they like, yeah. uh, I have a bunch of ground up brass, um, a pint of breast milk and um, three lemons. And some shampoo. <laughs> I got all kinds of crazy responses, some to be funny, some even slightly trollish. And I just answered them all, honestly. Um, and I just tried to make light and fun of it. What is the most common ingredient people have in their bars that they're like underutilizing or that they don't realize is like more versatile than they think? Let me have two answers to that. One is the majority of people that are responding are sending um, their ingredients via picture or a list. And almost everyone has gin, it seems, which is like so exciting to me because once upon a time, gin just seemed like, um, you know, everyone had a story about how and why they don't drink it. Um, and now everyone has a story of uh, why they want to drink it. And so that's that's a good sea change that we've seen um, over the last decade. But the one that's more sort of underutilized is rum. Well, why did you decide to kind of open up or create a platform like that? What was the driving influence? Um, you know what? I just saw a lot of people were scared, honestly. And I thought to myself that um, I'm a little scared too, but we should do something that keeps us busy, um, that leads to enjoyment. Um, you know, uh, joy is the arbiter of hope. And I think that we need a little joy in our lives, even in difficult scenarios. Um, we need to find, maybe it's not happy days, but it's happy moments. And, and that's what I think it's about right now. I, I know I'm not saving the world. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't think that's what cocktails do. Um, I think what we're doing is we're preserving our humanity. Last year, Derek wrote this essay for Vox.com about his decision to cut back on his alcohol intake. And right now, when everyone's at home, many by themselves, we wanted to talk to him more about his approach, which he calls mindful drinking. Well, I think for me, that means that drinking is not the center of my experiences um, and it's not used as um, a, a, as a way to, you know, cope with stress or anxiety. Um, instead, alcohol for me is a way to sit down and enjoy something with another person. The ritual is what counts, not the uh, alcohol itself. And, and that's just for me. I don't think everybody has to do what I do. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a perfectly rational drinker i'm somewhere in between i'm wondering if you could talk about how alcohol is kind of like a crutch for some people especially during times like this and what it's like watching that play out over the internet and i do think drinkers themselves should ask why am i drinking what is important about this and i think most people will find the important part of it is doing some activity um keeping their mind sharp and um sharing it with others even it's via zoom now um, I am scared a little bit for um, people who are in recovery or in some stage of recovery or are just now addressing the way they drink in a mindful way. Um, I think I would absolutely recommend to somebody who is, you know, teetering that now is not the time to test your resolve. 
um, it's hard. And there's even if you don't recognize yourself as being stressed out, um, it's going to hit you. And it's going to hit you and you're going to want to drink. Um, and the answer is put it down. Um, it's our, it's in a lot of us to kind of, you know, reach out to our friends, um, to reach out to people we know are having problems and try to help them. I'm really gratified to see so many, um, you know, online meetings um, for people in the industry, for people um, in different, you know, stages of recovery, for people who are mindful drinkers. Um, I would be super happy if somebody just reached out to me and asked me for a zero proof cocktail or just wanted to talk about their their issues with alcohol um, because I'm happy to just talk. I'm not a therapist. I can't, you know, I, I'm not a counselor. So in that way, I can't really help you, but I'm happy to provide some uh, feedback or, or, or uh, a drink if that's what it takes for somebody to make it one more day. Derek is still giving out cocktail recipes on Twitter, both with and without booze. Tweet him your ingredients at Ideas Improve. Derek also gave us the recipe for his signature cocktail at the Columbia Room. It's called The Getaway, and the recipe for the boozy and non-boozy version are in our show notes. Share your favorite home cooking shots with us. We're at Dish City on Twitter and Instagram, and use the hashtag Dish City Supper Club. And don't forget to share a recipe if you have one so we can all benefit. Coming up on Dish City, no matter how you're getting your food right now, there are a lot of tough questions about how to do the right thing. On our next episode, how to be an ethical food consumer. If there's a topic you think we should cover on this season or a person we should talk to, email us at dishcity at wamu.org. Dish City is produced by me, Patrick Fort. And me, Ruth Tam. Our associate producer is Julia Karen, and our editor is Ponzi Rush. Our theme music is by Daniel Peterschmidt. WAMU's general manager is JJ Yor, and Andy McDaniel oversees all the content we make at WAMU. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode, so hit that subscribe button. Later. See you then.